Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. How are executives of lenders, servicers, and fintechs adapting and changing in this low-volume environment? My guest today is HousingWire CEO Clayton Collins, who has his finger on the pulse of executives in our industry through his housing news podcast, through events, and just through his relationships. Today, we're talking about how those executives are pivoting to take on the current challenge and why some are actually optimistic. We've got a great topic, so let's jump in. Clayton, welcome to the podcast. Why, thank you for having me, Sarah. I am so happy to have you on here. So really interesting. You are now doing the Housing News Podcast. And on that one, you really take a deep dive with different executives in lending and real estate and fintech. And I think you've really gotten some great interviews and also have gotten some insights into the industry as we're in this really turbulent time. Yeah, hosting Housing News has really been, I I can almost like kind of look at it as a gift to get to spend time with some of the most impactful executives in in the housing landscape from real estate and mortgage origination and capital markets and the prop tech world. It's just really a, a fascinating look into how some of the most influential business operators in housing are navigating this market making technology decisions and um, hopefully preparing their businesses to be more resilient and have the ability to scale through different market cycles. Really interesting. And that's, you know, one of the reasons we have two separate podcasts just for housing where we also have reverse mortgage daily, we have real trending, but we have this, this podcast is really to give people the daily update on the, on the news. Some people like to get their news in yep. uh, audible format, but housing news is really that deep dive and, and spending some time getting, getting the larger story. So let's, let's dive in. One of the, one of your most recent podcasts was with Anthony Shea, of course, of Lone Depot, really fascinating one. And there's so much to talk about there. First of all, you know, what was it like having him on? I, I told Anthony this on the, on our podcast recording that I really regret not having the opportunity to spend time with him and get to know him uh, years ago. And um, it was just a really fascinating conversation that gave a glimpse into some of the things that he has learned as a, as a mortgage entrepreneur and, and CEO over over three decades and he gave me a hard time for for calling that out but he's been operating for three decades and um in, in that in that period you uh you learn a few things you see a few cycles and you start to understand what is what is required to prepare your business uh for a cycle um and then also prepare your business to survive and be stronger on the other side of a um a market like we're in today where origination volume is um, likely going to be significantly lighter than 2021. there's so many facets to um the cycle changes. And so it is interesting to see someone who's been through a couple of those and really probably the things they're anticipating that, you know, you don't know the first time or the second time or whatever, and, and he's coming through. One of the things that I thought was really interesting in an answer to your question is he said that the way that he looks at or Lone Depot looks at technology today is very different than even six years ago. And I think, you know, Lone Depot is is trying to be at the at the forefront of some of those tech advances. So it was really interesting, you know, his answer to you there. And so, so what are some of the ways he's looking at tech differently now? 
I I think the whole market has evolved their thinking around technology in the mortgage world. And even six years ago in the time period that Anthony referenced and six years ago, which happens to be the the beginning of of my timeline and entrepreneurial journey with with HousingWire, the, the mortgage tech ecosystem was in a whole different place. And the the players that were were building and innovating in mortgage tech, um, many of which were, were looking to build end-to-end solutions that they could sell or partner with mortgage originators that could take loans from marketing to point of sale to processing, underwriting, closing, servicing, and secondary market integration. There's a lot of talk about end-to-end solutions. And uh, over the last six years, the conversation around digital mortgages has changed a lot as people seemed much more willing and excited and strategically aligned to partner and build proprietary stacks instead of proprietary end-to-end systems. And the difference there is proprietary end-to-end, you have one technology platform that, that does it all. The likely scenario with a platform that does it all is you're really not like best of breed on any given capability or product function. But when you're focused on building a proprietary stack, you're able to identify the partners, software companies, um, information services providers that are truly best of breed and help build a tech stack that incorporates all of the functionalities and innovations that your specific organization will need to be successful in an era of more digital mortgages. And um, and that that's that's changed a lot. The whole mentality has shifted over the last six years. I also wonder if it's just that um, you know it's also gotten a lot harder to to be to do that best of breed yourself right i mean i mean people are are focusing down on on different parts of this process in a way that you just think how could someone do that if they're if they're already a lender if they're already doing this yeah i mean anthony in our conversation talked about the the evolution of the of loan depot's mellow division and i think even within that this specific lender they're thinking around what they will build in house and then what they will um partner or, or or buy is a is a whole different arena and i think what anthony was hinting at and getting to in our conversation is that the mellow division is is now much more open and and much more likely to look at some of the best of breed solutions out there and build a proprietary stack that meets the needs of Loan Depot. And we the conversation went on to talk a little bit about how no mortgage originator is is built the same. And despite the fact that we're all selling the same, pretty much the same 30-year fixed rate mortgage product, and I, I know ARMS and some other products are gaining in popularity right now, but we're pretty much all selling the same 30-year fixed rate product. Every lender has a little different flavor and they're built a little bit differently. They have a different culture, a different sales style. They're dealing with different legacy systems. They have different secondary and capital markets, partners and strategies, different strategies and policies around retaining or selling servicing. And like all of those, those little nuances, they really matter in building the tech stack that actually makes a lender differentiated and better prepared for where the industry is going opposed to where we came from. You know, you mentioned Mellow Home and to me that, or Mellow, I can think it's just Mellow now. One of the really interesting things about that to me is I feel like that's one of those long-term plays that someone who's been in this business for a couple decades sees as being 
this is going to be a differentiator, but it, it, it takes a while. I mean, he even said, you know, he's talking about like, it's going to mature in the next five to 10 years. So you talk about looking out, but it makes total sense. You know, Loan Depot is great at getting those leads on the, on the top of the funnel and bringing them into the mortgage thing. And then really to capitalize on the relationships that they've built with their homeowners, to me, makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, that's another evolution that we're we're seeing in the industry right now. And again, I'm not a, not a new one. A conversation that's been happening for a while. But lenders, real estate brokerages, all of the the prop tech firms, they don't just want their their one slice of of revenue and and one touch point with a with a homeowner. They're they're looking to be more ingrained in the life cycle of homeownership. And I think. The real estate brokerage space is really starting to shine light on, on why that's important. And as you've seen more and more public real estate brokerages, you get a glimpse into how much of their revenue, but maybe more importantly, how much of their profitability is coming from core services and the mortgage and title and insurance capabilities that they are bringing to their agents and bringing to their home buyers. And now we're seeing the same thing in mortgage of of mortgage shops that want to extend their touch point into that that homeowner life cycle and potentially profit off of insurance or maybe even going deeper into the home ownership life cycle and having referral relationships on home improvement or furniture or all the things that consumers do when they purchase a home that's an extremely kind of large capital inflection point when a when a when a household is formed and um there's new internet and telecom relationships formed uh new insurance policies um home decor and electronics um and so many other things that get purchased when a person forms a household and uh and moves into a new home and i I think the whole housing industry is looking at this as an opportunity to be more involved in that home ownership life cycle. And uh, they're looking at different ways to do that. Um, you know, some of it's database management and through, through partnerships and marketing programs. And other lenders actually seem to are ready to integrate and actually sell insurance and other products that, that might be relevant to that home ownership inflection point. It's really ambitious when you think about it, because I mean, lenders it's historically, when you look at even like servicers being able to to retain their their customers i mean so it's like even within the same vertical that you're serving the customer to retain that is just so low historically so to to be a company that's like not only do we want to retain you for the kind of business that you signed up with us in the first place but like we want you to get our your furniture from us or your insurance from us or whatever it's pretty ambitious yeah, it's ambitious, but it is like the necessary activity if you do want to maintain a relationship that extends past the day the loan closes. And we've talked a lot about like the difference between origination and servicing. And uh, so much focus goes on origination because like that's the transaction and that's like the, the, the special moment that a homeowner and real estate professional feels at the time a, a home is sold or, or purchased. And um, But the real relationship on the consumer side is the the up to 30 year relationship that they have with their servicer and uh we're actually in in new york right now for for mba secondary and, and capital markets conference and last night we hosted a little a little talk logan Moshami, our lead analyst we had an event called cocktails with logan and one of the things that logan asked the audience is if anybody knew how long the average homeowner is staying in their home right now. So so household tenure. And Sarah, do you remember the, the answer that Logan had on that question? 
I do. He said it was like 11 and a half to 18 years. Yeah, it's a wide a wide range. I'm sure we get a more spot answer on that one. But the but the the point is, it's twice as long as it used to be. People used to stay at homes six or seven years, and they upgrade or relocate or whatever whatever they do. But now we're talking about a number in the teens of people staying in their homes. So not not only um, are lenders more separated from those transaction points where they have another opportunity to gain revenue off of origination, um, but they're also more separated from the relationship. And if you bought a home 12 years ago, the likelihood that you stayed in touch with your originator, the likelihood that you even remember, like, or, or that your originator is even in business anymore. Like we look back 12 years and like the faces and the names are extremely different than they were 12 years ago. Um, I know 2010 was a little bit of a, a different market. So maybe that changes over time for, for the more, a little more stability. But, uh, but ultimately, if you're talking about homeownership tenure that's going out 12, 13, 15 years, um, that's going to be an impossible relationship for an originator to maintain if there's not some other business inflection point or commercial inflection point in there where they're able to serve that, that homeowner. Also, I mean, that just points to the volume problem that this industry is going to face for the next decade, at least, because it's like if people are staying in their homes that long and we know there's an inventory problem, it's not like, well, there's going to be so many more homes to finance or to sell, you know, if you're a real estate agent. So this is the opportunity of the future, which is let's, you know, let's find other other things for that same consumer. And really, I mean, there are so many companies that would kill for this kind of information slash connection with the consumer like every month there's an inflection point and it's about something they really care about their home and it's something that you know you have the opportunity to do it but i i know my just i've had i don't know four or five different servicers over the homes i've bought and and sold over the years and and none of them in my opinion did a great job of really making me feel like i'm connected to them just saying <laughs> yeah and it's funny i mean so we're here at secondary like there's been a few conversations and and um and sessions about like communication with with borrowers and it it's such an, an important topic right now not not only for maintaining that that business and commercial relationship but but also communication requirements around um, compliance and and fair lending and fair servicing so communication um, with borrowers and inside of servicing portfolios is, is getting a, a, a lot of attention right now um, especially uh, and we've seen this uptick in, in arms uh, Mike Fratt and Tony shared a chart yesterday morning of just this massive hockey stick curve of um, arm production and one thing that the industry is still wrapping its arms around is like there's more arms being originated right now, originated right now than there has been in the last several years. But we're also in this in the middle of this migration from from LIBOR to SOFR for the benchmark rate for benchmarking adjustable rate mortgages. And this creates another need for consumer communication that that's like easily digestible and like it may, maybe doesn't it specifically talk about like what it means to transition from LIBOR to, to SOFR, but consumers need to know what, like how their rates are benchmarked. So it's another like another spotlight on the new challenge of communication with borrowers. Yeah. And if, uh, as someone who's has sat through several uh, sessions on SOFR and LIBOR and the transition there, you know, good luck um, as you're trying to explain that to a consumer why their rate is changing. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, even the, the panelists today said that, like, explaining 
the actual conversion is too complicated for your like your consumers don't don't even try but they they do need to know that arms are pegged off a new benchmark um not libor and they need to be notified when when rates move and like this is this is nothing new but it just creates like another complexity and in managing this like long-term servicing relationship I also think, you know, you and I were, were sitting at lunch with someone and, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, when you talk about fair servicing, we're not even sure what that means. That's a that's a pretty undefined term right now, but definitely a focus of the regulators. So it's a challenge in the sense of like, it's not even like, oh, here's all the rules to follow. It's like, not even sure what all the rules are there. Yeah, that definitely seems to be some some gray area. And if the the consultants to the industry are still trying to figure out those definitions, then then I'm going to stay away from opining on the subject because I am <laughs> not not an expert on fair servicing. And neither am I. Yeah. What are some of the themes that you've you know kind of pulling out just from the uh, Anthony Shea interview? You you've been interviewing executives this entire year over the months, you know, you do one a week and, you know, they're from not just mortgage, but from real estate, from fintech, you know, as, as we got through Q1 and, and the reality of Q2 is, has uh, come down upon us, what do you feel like the overall, you know, sentiment is? Yeah. So we're actually dropping a new episode on Thursday of this week with Bill Dallas and Bill and I talk a lot about kind of the, the sentiment of the industry right now and like trying to get a good feel for for which way the the wind is blowing, and I mean, I think it's 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 very clear. Like the the data is supporting um, that twenty twenty two is going to be a more challenging origination year than in twenty twenty one. Like anyone who listens to the show knows that. But like to kind of put some some metrics behind it, the um, the the most recent MBA data, which I think just dropped yesterday on or um, actually on Monday of this week, is projecting four point for 8 million purchase loans in 2022. So that's like it, it over 8% decline from, from 2021. And refi is only projected to be 2.2, 2.3, which is down from some 6 million units in, in 2021. So a 65% wow. decline from prior year. So like, that's like a, that's, that's the fact. So like now we have to determine like, are there any other drivers to what happens in purchase volume in Q2 and, and Q3? So like, do, can we l- anticipate that there's going to be more inventory coming to market this summer, which kind of supports may- maybe a little bit of outsized performance for originators than, than what's been projected by economists? And cer- certain markets in the U.S. are definitely seeing upticks in, in inventory right now. But days on market is still just at, a, at an unhealthy low level. I know. I know Logan talked a little bit about like his, his views on on days on market, and I think he he's like thinks like a healthy benchmark is like anything north of thirty. Am I get, getting that number right, Sarah? You're correct. He really he always says you don't yeah. want to see it in the teens. So don't want, and that's I think we're yeah we're solidly solidly in the teens right now. So. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like a, a major headwind, but like I think a lot of industry executives are just trying to figure out how strong that that headwind's going to be and how do they prepare their organizations um, to not only like be profitable, but also be prepared if more inventory d- does come to market. Because nobody wants to miss the boat if that inventory comes to market and not have their organizations uh, ready to capture that origination volume and, and serve their their real estate agent and, and referral partners. You know, we did a story um, a couple weeks ago now, uh, the reporters did on, on kind of like what who are the lenders that we think are going to really thrive in this environment and who aren't? And 
um, you know, it's not like we called out specific, like, oh, these people are going to fail, but really just looking at like, whose model makes sense, who's, you know, has done this before and understands, you know, yeah. and what we see from that. Yeah. Bill talks about that. I'm not going to, we haven't dropped the episode yet, so I'm not going to share, um, share all the details, but I do encourage folks to check out the conversation with Bill Dallas, but, uh, there, there definitely are some views on the cost structure inside of um, mortgage banks and, and, and IMBs that will support competitive rate environments um, and the the changes that IMB CEOs might need to make in their in their organizations and cost structures to ensure that they are competitive as we've just gone through this kind of rapidly rising rate environment and um, anybody with kind of too many layers of expenses uh, yeah, might, might have a much harder time being competitive and maintaining or gaining market share as we look out into Q3 and Q4. Yeah, it's going to be a tough year. But, you know, we do see people who are optimistic about what their company is doing also see this as a huge opportunity. We know yeah. that a lot of companies started in the aftermath of the great financial crisis. Uh, yeah, no, the cream, the cream rises. I mean, that's like, I, mean, I think that's what you're you're pointing at. Like, I mean, the, the passerbys in the industry, they will get flushed out over the next few quarters. The the, the real estate agents who, who who just joined and you know haven't found a cadence of listings, like they're gonna have a really you know hard time surviving. The originators who who joined in the last cycle and built their whole business around around refi and didn't build out a solid purchase program or referral network, like they're gonna have a, a tough time and they're gonna have to like ask themselves the honest question, is this an industry that I can afford to stay in because my income has been been cut pretty significantly? But the originators in the mortgage banks who know how to do purchase, they're looking at themselves right now. They're looking at the market and saying, ah, this is going to be tough, but I'm going to buckle down and we're going to do this. And I'm going to come out the other side stronger because I am that that seasoned pro that knows how to work with real estate agents and borrowers and home buyers in competitive markets like this one. And uh, the cream will rise. So I mean, I'm kind of excited to see how the winners um, kind of prevail on the other side of other side of this, you know, tough headwind market that we're, we find ourselves in in, in uh, May and Q2 of 2022. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting for us. We really, you know, we feel for our industry as they're going through this, you know, kind of tough time. But also, it's there's a lot of interesting stories. And the same thing, I feel like, you know, when we when COVID started, and especially when the shuts, shutdowns happened, and you talk about, you know, some of the, our industry just coming to a screeching halt. You know, at that point, uh, we, we saw some people, we, we did a whole story, uh, a whole series of stories on like people who had made it through other down cycles and what they learned there and what they were trying to do. And you really did see some of those people come back swinging. Obviously, it, it that, you know, housing came out of um, that COVID shutdown period just really accelerating. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to see that again, but still, People who have a plan that can be agile and and know what yeah. know how to do this, they're going to come come out well. The, the other big theme that which we could kind of hit on the beginning uh, on technology is that um, in this period of of margin compression and and kind of a, a tough volume environment, um, lenders do have to look internally and say, hey, how do we 
build and run more efficient mortgage lending organizations. And that was something we talked about with, with Bill and Anthony. And actually, Sarah, you and I kind of talked about in, in passing with Keenan Chen from Clear Capital this morning is like where lenders have historically focused their their technology and innovation efforts and kind of the evolution of focusing on the, the front end from, from point of sale and origination to a lot of attention over the last few years focused on on, on e-close and some of the things that are being enabled through online notarization. Um, but now we still kind of have this whole messy middle of, of processing and, and underwriting and verifications and, and QC where a lot of there's a lot of room for efficiency. So I, I think we're going into a market where there's going to be not only some winners and losers on the origination side, but there's going to be some people who really separate themselves in the mortgage tech space, the software and solutions companies that are able to partner with lenders as they look to build more efficient and sustainable lending businesses by bringing their technology solutions in and, and building that proprietary stack that that meets those lenders. So and we talked about proprietary stacks like from the viewpoint of an, an industry trend on how people are thinking about tech. But I think it's really important to apply that same concept to how people are thinking about tech in this very specific market where lenders need to find margin and be more efficient if they're going to be the lenders that can be the consolidators instead of the consolidated consolidated on um as as <laughs> like as this market probably unearths some MA opportunities and and opportunities for lenders to enter new channels or or grow their footprint um through through MA um as those opportunities present themselves. And I think the worst thing that can happen in a in a MA transaction is if a lender acquires a competitor and they bring those originators in to a subpar tech stack, that is the fastest way for those LOs to defect and, and move on to a lender that can actually support them with better technology and origination capabilities. So I think the lenders who want want to acquire and want to gain market share, whether, it, whether it's through acquisition or through very competitive recruiting, have to have a top of market tech stack that gives the LOs confidence that this is an organization that's supporting their ability to originate loans and get them processed and closed in a timely manner and have happy real estate partners and happy borrowers. Great point. Really, you just teed up the last the last thing I wanted to ask you about or, or talk about was, um, you know, we just got through with earnings season. We did. Uh, we covered the earnings of, um, you know, real estate brokerages and lenders and, of course, uh, some of the fintechs that serve them. And so Blend Labs was one of the ones that, um, you know, they, they had a, a relatively relatively um, not bad quarter. I guess that's the best way to say it uh, in, in this time. Right. And um, they reported, a, you know, a loss. But compared to the rest of the industry, their, their mortgage banking revenue dropped 7% year over year, but the the industry as a whole had a 44% decline. So that's, a, you know, they feel like they're outperforming and feel like they're going to continue to outperform. One of the reasons is because they, they bought Title 365, which brought in a huge amount of revenue compared to the other things that they were doing. And I just think that's a perfect example of like, they went out there, bought that company, has already paid off huge you know, for them. And, and who knows what that looks like going forward? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's, that's kind of counter to like my earlier point on like best of breed stacks, but I mean, blend, blend is kind of like diversifying their business model with, with t- title 365. And that definitely came through in the most recent uh, quarterly reports. And um, I, I think it was a, 
and the market received this blends earnings in a, in a pretty positive way, especially with, um, with assertions from from management that the the company will will outperform the market because of strategic decisions they've they've made in their their business diversification, um, as well as kind of their that forty four percent decline in industry origination volume is inclusive of refi. So like the real like question is like same with lenders and and then the the software and solutions companies that support them is like how much of your mix is tied up in in refi, and I think that's probably a, a driver of, of what we see here at Blend as well. Great point on that. And Clayton, really um, such an interesting conversation. Really happy to have you on and, you know, would ask our, tell our uh, listeners, go listen to that episode, um, the recent ones you've done, but also, you know, tune in for that one with Bill Dallas. I know that you came out of that one really pumped and, and said it had some great stuff in there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, um, I hope it comes across like these uh these interviews with um the leaders of the housing industry are are, are just fun and it, it's really kind of just f- fun how much you can learn from somebody who has been doing this for for decades and I, i'm really having a good time interviewing executives who have like been there done that and they've, they've seen this market environment they know why it's different from what happened in 2020 and the the, the margin compression environment uh, or i guess 2020 man i'm skipping that, that was the COVID environment <laughs> in 2018 in the margin compression environment i know why it was different from 2012 and it was different from 20 2008 and why it was different from 2001 and like that like like you start to see trends and like how market cycles are similar, but you understand small nuances and how they're different. And that, that's been a fun theme that's come up in several of our last uh, episodes. I feel like they're really fun to listen to. Um, and I think that one of the things about the audio format is people loosen up and, and start talking and, and <laughs> yeah. they tell you stuff that like, if you were doing it over the phone, if you were doing, you know, if you're doing a written interview, it's just a different format. And, and so after a while, you know, they're talking to you just like you're, you know, their friends sitting there. And so I, I always get, that's why podcasts are so popular, right? We, we get to really get down to it. Don't give away all of our secrets, Sarah, but yeah, that is a fun <laughs> part of it. <laughs> Well, I love listening to them, and I know our audience does as well. And Clayton, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Have a great day. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.